This episode of Red or Dead is sponsored by William Morrow Books and The Cartographers by Peng Shepard. From the critically acclaimed author of The Book of M, a highly imaginative thriller about a young woman who discovers that a strange map in her deceased father's belongings holds an incredible deadly secret, one that will lead her on an extraordinary adventure and to the truth about her family's dark history. Perfect for fans of Joe Hill and V.E. Schwab, The Cartographers is an ode to art and science, history and magic, a spectacularly imaginative modern story about an ancient craft and places still undiscovered. Welcome to Red or Dead, a bi-weekly podcast where we talk about the world of mysteries and thrillers. This is episode 123, and we are recording on Monday, March 21st. I'm Katie McLean Horner, along with Nezra Javed, and we are coming to you from Book Riot. Hi, Nezra. How are you? I am good, Katie. How are you doing? How has your Monday been? It's been awful. (laughs) I won't go into details, but I am ready for this Monday to be over. I am ready to start fresh tomorrow morning and pretend this Monday has not happened. (laughs) Yeah, I like to think Monday is always a trial day for the week, so you're fine. It really has. This one has been a little, actually a lot more of a trial than usual. So I'm, I'm, I'm eager to go to sleep and like I said, start fresh tomorrow and we will make Tuesday the new Monday and forget Monday happened this week. I love it. I, I vote for this. I, I always like Mondays is where usually I'm like dragging my feet and everything I have to do. Drop off for my daughter is extra hard. Putting her to bed is extra hard. Cooking is extra hard. Working is extra hard. <laughs> So I just like to forget Mondays, but I, I'm excited for our episode today. So this is one of my bright spots of this Monday. Yes. Yes, it is. I am so excited for this episode. Yes. Before we jump into all of that awesomeness, though, what have you been reading recently? So I have been reading tons of romance. Wrong podcast, I know. <laughs> but no, <laughs> it's just uh, I've been reading tons of romance and I hit a sort of an audiobook slump. So I decided to jump into one of my old mystery favorites, which is what I'm reading. It's Grady Hendrix's The Southern Book Club's Guide to Slaying Vampires, which is exactly like if you think that's a metaphor of some kind. No, it's not. That's exactly what it is. But it was one of my all-time favorite books of 2020. And it's like all-time favorites and my favorite book of 2020. And I read this book a lot. Like I have a physical copy of it on my shelf. And when I'm having like a slump of any kind, I either go read chapters from in between, in the beginning, and I don't know why I do that. <laughs> but that's what I've started. So I'm read- doing the audiobook this time. I haven't done the audiobook before. It's narrated by Benny Turpin. And she, as always, is doing a fantastic, fantastic job and if you are unfamiliar with the southern book club's guide to slaying vampires it's basically about these group of moms who have a book club who are you know in their book club they read true crime and murder so they're one of us (laughs) but it's also a lot of like commentary on grady hendrix what he does is he takes it like it's almost it's not almost it's satire about suburban life and these standards that parents and you know moms are held to and they hold themselves to and just sort sort of like he takes like a he treats it all like a balloon and like puts a pin through all of them it's it's fantastic and obviously then there's a stranger that moves down the street and all the moms are very like all of a sudden their antlers you know like 
their danger alerts go up and they're not sure what's going on and how and the rest follows. And I really don't want to say more than that. But it's, I, I, I don't know why. I love it so much. I, I just do love it. It's got vampires. It's got like, you know, rethinking the suburban dream it's got a little bit of everything so i'm here for it so that's what i'm reading <laughs> i remember you talking about that in an earlier sh- episode and i just remember going oh i've got to get to that one and i still haven't yet oh, <laughs> story of my life yeah so i i mean i have been reading a lot and especially given that prior to this i have barely been reading at all <laughs> so it feels like even more so but i am going to be talking about all of those books later in the episode, so I'm not going to give away any spoilers right now. So with that, uh, do you want to give us our first sponsor and we'll get this show on the road? Absolutely. So this episode of Fed or Dead is sponsored in part by Book Riot. That's us. (laughs) If you love this show, you're bound to love many of our others. Check out our newest podcast, Adaptation Nation, for discussions of adaptations both beloved and new. Download SFF Yeah for happenings and recommendations in sci-fi and fantasy. Don't miss When in Romance for updates on all things kissing books. Or Hey Valle for excellent conversations about young adult literature. We've got a show for everyone. Just go to bookriot.com slash listen for a full list of all our podcasts or simply type bookriot in the search bar of your podcatcher of choice. It will bring up the full stable your TBR, and the podcast-shaped hole in your heart will be full. Happy listening! I wonder what a podcast-shaped hole actually looks like. Does it look like a smartphone with a pair of headphones? (laughs) (laughs) That's how I listen to a lot of of stuff on my phone. Anyway, (laughs) so if you are a new listener, welcome. We are delighted to have you. If you're a long-time listener, welcome back. We are so happy that you continue to put us in your ear holes every two weeks. And this, like I said at the beginning of the episode, we talk about mysteries and suspense and pretty much anything that falls under that umbrella, whether it's true crime or lesser known subgenres or author read-alikes or news about adaptations or anything. If it's mysterious and suspenseful in some way, it's fair game for us to talk about it. And this is the part of the show where we always put out a call for suggestions from our listeners. As I have said so many times, they really help us plan our future episodes. They let us know what you, the listeners, would like to hear more of. They help us expand our own reading horizons and give us new ways to think about stuff that that we wouldn't have come up with on our own. It's just a win-win all around. So if you have any ideas or recommendations, you can shoot us an email or reach out via social media. We will have all of our contact information at the end of the show and in the show notes. And we just always put out the call ahead of time to get those creative juices flowing. Even if you don't have an idea, you just want to say hi, there's nothing we love reading more. So, you know, if you don't have an idea, but just want to give us a wave, totally fine. And if you enjoy this podcast, definitely leave us a review over at Apple Podcasts so that other people can find us. So with that, it's I mean, it's been kind of a slow news week as far as mysteries and suspenseful things go. And we're just too excited to jump into this discussion. So I say let's let's kick it off. Yes, I am ready. So for this episode, we decided to put all the time that we spend watching TV instead of reading to good use. And if you like us are in the same boat. 
and you want to, you know, transition from TV watching to maybe reading, there's nothing wrong with either of these. There is no virtue in one or the other. But we decided that we're going to do some of our favorite shows, maybe some shows that, you know, are not favorites, but we think, you know, like some of our shows that we enjoyed and we thought that would, you know, we got the similar feeling when we read a similar book. Maybe there is a longing in our heart that that should be a book, but that show, this show is all about those. So it's read likes for our favorite crime TV shows. And I'm so excited. Yeah. And I will say when we discussed this idea, I was immediately on board. And then I started thinking through all the shows that I have been watching and I'm going, Oh my God, I have been watching so much TV. (laughs) (laughs) I had the opposite problem. I watch a lot of sitcoms and not a lot of TV shows, like crime TV shows. And I was like, I wonder how many people want like sitcom recommendations. Could this be like a crossover episode? But I I got it. I'm there. I'm there. We're fine. We crossed over. (laughs) I was going to say, I too have been watching, well... I usually, the, the TV's on a lot in our house. And so I'm like, yeah, I've been watching a fair number of number of sitcoms as well. And then I'm like, I've been watching so much TV. Oh my gosh. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I would love to kick this off because my first show, I have two recommendations for that I couldn't choose. So I'm going to get the big one out of the way if that's okay. Absolutely. Go for it. All right. So the first show that I picked Rita Likes for is one that I that my husband and I got into during the pandemic. We're a little late to the game, but we made it. This is Killing Eve. And I have talked about it a little bit on the show. I know a ton of other book rioters are just absolutely in love with this show. And if you have not seen Killing Eve, the very, very basic premise is you have... Eve, who is played by Sandra Oh, and she is working with not, it's not MI6, but it's a British intelligence agency and a small group of them break off because they're trying to find this Russian assassin who is, has just been killing people left and right. And they're trying to to track this person down. And that person ends up being Jodie Comer's character, Villanelle. There are three seasons that are already out, and the fourth season just started last month. So, and this is going to be the final season. So if you haven't watched it, there's only going to be four seasons total to get through. But not only is it an espionage cat and mouse type of game, the characters are unbelievable. The sexual tension between Sandra Oh and Jodie Comer is electric. Like, this is an intense show. It is darkly humorous. It is really dark. Just as soon as you get attached to a character, something happens to them. I mean, that's not a spoiler. That's that's happening to, like, so many characters in the show. Like, it is so intense, and I love it so much. And this show was what made me fall desperately in love with Jodie Comer. She is amazing. I will now watch anything that she is in. So I found two books that I am so excited to talk to you about that, although neither one captures the, uh, the sexual tension of Killing Eve, they both are female-driven, complex, engaging, sometimes heartbreaking tales of spying and espionage. And I couldn't pick between the two of them, so I'm going to give you both of them. So the first one is Red Widow by Alma Katsu. And Alma Katsu wrote one of my favorite books from a few years ago, The Hunger, about the Donner Party being stalked by something 
supernatural. So if that sounds familiar, you've definitely heard me talk about Almakatsu. Well, this book is full-on espionage thriller, but the basic premise is that there have been a very quick succession of three Russian double agents that have been working for the CIA that are suddenly killed in the line of duty, and it's becoming pretty obvious to the CIA that someone gave away these people's identities to the Russian government who then killed them. However, they are worried that it is someone in the midst of the CIA that gave these names. And so there is a massive um, investigation going on. The investigation is led by a woman named Lindsay, who has her own tarnished history with the CIA. And she befriends a another CIA agent named Teresa Warner, who has her own history in the CIA. Her husband was killed on a disastrous mission to Russia. And there are these rumors that are circulating around her and the two women form a friendship. But then it becomes very obvious that well, not very obvious, but as you listen, as you read the book, that there is there is there are dark, dark secrets buried deep in the CIA, and it's only a matter of time before they emerge. I don't usually go for espionage thrillers. They just don't really do it for me. But this one has a f the feel of a real mystery, even though you figure they the book tells you pretty early on some of what's happening. There's still a procedure. You're following along with Lindsay as she's putting the pieces together, as she's talking to people, getting clues, and you are kind of putting the puzzle together with her. And so you have that feeling of discovery. You have those same feelings of, oh, crap, when she finds out something that she hadn't expected. And it's all interspersed with other chapters from other characters' points of view. So it just becomes this really intriguing puzzle. And it's so, so good on audio. I'm listening to it on audio right now, and I am just loving the heck out of it. And yeah, so that's all I'm going to say about that book, because I don't want to give away too much. But it it is just bowling me over how much I am enjoying this book. So again, that's Red Widow by Alma Katsu. And then the second book is one that Nezra recommended to me as a read-alike that she had heard about for Killing Eve. And A, she was 100% correct. And B, this book is so good, I can hardly stand it. And this one is called Her Name is Night by Yasmin Ango. And this is her debut novel. Uh, the main character's name is Nina, who has a codename named Echo. She is a highly trained assassin for this group called The Tribe. It's an international organization that is dedicated to the protection and advancement of the peoples and countries of Africa. Basically trying to create a unified Africa and really push their betterment to the, to the forefront of the world. And so Nina is sent out on different missions to take out people that are preventing that goal. Interspersed with each chapter in the present day is a chapter from Nina's backstory when she was living in Ghana and her village was burned to the ground. And the, the author starts off the book with a content note warning. So you know right off going in, this is not going to be an easy read. So trigger warnings for genocide for human trafficking, for abuse and assault of all kinds. Like, this is not an easy book to stomach. 
But the way the author writes is she doesn't do it gratuitously. And she, you can tell that, that as she acknowledges at the beginning of the book, that she's really, she's trying to talk about these types of situations with empathy and compassion for the people who have had to deal with stuff like this. And it just, it comes through so poignantly. And so you have the horrors that happened in Nina's past. And then you have in the present day, she realizes that an assignment that she is on is leading her to a ring of human traffickers. Not surprisingly, it's bringing up stuff from her own past. And it's like how she grapples with that, how she decides what actions to take. This book this book hit me so hard. Like I read it in two sittings, like half one day, half the other. The it was like I had tears in my eyes by the end of the book and mysteries don't usually choke me up. And this one, like I had to tweet at the author and I was like, oh my gosh, your book broke me and I love it so much and I'm going to recommend it to everyone. So this, yeah, this book is just so bonkers good. And again, it is, her name is Night by Yasmin Angle. Yes, I saw that tweet and it 100% made me like my library had a copy and I immediately borrowed it and it's on my shelf and I'm going to read it. Oh my God, I have been Muppet arming about this book. Like I finished it, I think on Saturday. So like I have just been tweeting at everyone being like, oh my God, this book is amazing. <laughs> and it's got amazing reviews. Like it's, I, I don't, it gets, yeah, I, I, I am intrigued and also a little terrified of the trigger warnings you've mentioned, but I'm sure the author has, you know. Yeah, it's it's a hard read, but I I mean, for me, it was a not easier going in, but it didn't take me by surprise because I was prepared for it. Yeah. And that's, yeah, that always helps. Yeah. And she writes with so much compassion too, that it's, it's, I mean, it's harder to read it in that sense, but it is also easier to read it knowing that it's not being done gratuitously, kind of. Yes, I appreciate that. Yeah. Oh, Amazing. Okay, so if that it's hard to follow that Muppet <laughs> Army recommendation. I was so excited. But I'll I'll try to match that energy. <laughs> but so my first show is Supernatural and I will <gasps> die on this hill if you tell me. I will leave you behind on this hill actually. Where if you tell me that that is not a crime show because of course it's not a typical crime show, but it's like sort of it's got everything. It's got crime. It's got romance. It's got bromance. It's got like <laughs> magic. It's got supernatural shenanigans. Like that's the perfect, like, you know, I mean, it's, yeah. And like there's police involved, but they're never actually doing anything. It's it's just fantastic all around. And that's why I went on for 15 seasons because it's got so much of everything. <laughs> yes. And I have, I think... This has never happened with me, but I am on the 10th season. I have never... That's about where I left off. It's such a long show that I dropped off for a little bit, but yes. that's about where I where I, where I I left off. It's hard to maintain your commitment after the 10th season. I won't lie. If any of you have watched all 15, please message me and let me know that it's worth continuing on. Anyways, it's not about that. I love supernatural it's amazing if you have not heard about supernatural it's basically about these two brothers who are it's a bit of an understatement to say they're ghost hunters because they're not they're just hunters and they're out to basically hunt all things that go bump in the night 
And it's like something that they've been doing throughout their family. So there's a lot of like, there's action involved. There's like rituals involved. People die, but then people come back to life. Like what's going on? I don't know. But it's so good. It's so good. And I think it qualifies here because like, you know, at the start of every episode, there is, at least for the first 10 seasons, there's always this element of what, how did this happen? Let's like, we have to get to the bottom of it. And therefore, I felt confident in sharing this here. So my recommendation for read alike for this is I have honestly never, I've never found a book that has given me a similar experience where I get like all my boxes stick because, you know, it's hard to balance the supernatural with this brotherhood and then this romance, Some, sometimes romance, romance is not always there. So romance, and then action. And so I have honestly never found a book that does all of these things at once, but a book that has come closest that whenever I think of this book, I think of Supernatural immediately. It's Empire of the Wild by Cherie de Meline. So this book starts off a little sad. And actually, it kind of... Because Supernatural also starts off a little sad, like the first episode. I was going to so say. <laughs> yes, yeah, so I'm realizing now that it's the perfect, like, really like. But basically, it starts with Joanne, who has... And she, it starts with her grief. Like, the chapter starts with her... Uh, we're thrown right in the center of her grief. She's grieving her husband, who has gone missing for a whole year now. And she basically uh, is just just like trying to get like get through it, just trying to work through her grief. And one hungover morning, she is in this parking lot and she uh, sees this tent and she hears a sermon of sorts coming from there. And she just like sort of stumbles in. When she stumbles in, what she sees is she just thinks it's, you know, the charismatic preacher. He's been giving everyone uh, sermons. He's been every, the whole... Uh, the whole town has been talking about him. So she stumbles in, but what she sees is her husband, Victor. So obviously she is, you know, she does not know what to think. So she, after the sermon, she goes and confronts him and she says, you know, where have you been? You've been like, I've been searching for you. What, what's like, what's been going on? And he says, like, what? Like, I am not Victor. I'm not your husband. I am Reverend Eugene Wolfe. And I am my, I'm just on a mission to bring people closer to Jesus. And that's it. And like, like, you know, he just like sort of stalks off after that. But Joanne refuses to believe that because in her heart, she knows that that's Victor. And like, you know, like how can someone have the exact same face and everything? So that becomes the mystery that she decides to solve. But she only has two allies with her. She has her nephew, Zeus, who's a 12-year-old Johnny Cash-loving kiddo. And then there is Adrian, who is a... Basically, a euchre shark with a deep knowledge of, you know, Joanne's ancestors and their way of solving problems. And as they, as they look further into the situation, they realize that the Victor is not only, like, he's not only bringing people closer to Jesus, but he has something else. Like, he has another mission in mind that he's going about accomplishing. And... The reason that I say that this is a great read, like for Supernatural, should sort of answer what kind of, you know, reason he might have. Uh, it's like very supernaturally and it builds up very slowly. And yeah, like if a, there's a talking shark involved, you can imagine that this is this has elements of fabulism. So 
it's like it's perfect. It's it has that sort of slowly putting piecing together something. That slow that feeling of you know things escalating, not appearing as they are. Ugh. So it doesn't have that same amount of action though. I will say that, but I I think that's hard to replicate on page anyway. So I will hundred percent like I'll let that slide. I'll let that slide. So this is the Empire of the Wild by Cherie Dimali, and this is a comfort supernatural. Read it if you're if you have somehow watched all fifteen seasons and now need a are hungover. <laughs> oh my gosh, my husband! Like whenever I'd have Supernatural on, he'd come in and he was like, "You're just watching this because you think Sam and Dean are attractive." I'm like, "Yes." I'm like, 100%. "I'm sorry." I'm like, "Yes, the Supernatural thing is a bonus," but I'm like, "Let's be real." <laughs> that is hundred percent why I watch that show. Yes. Yeah, these yeah. I'm like, that is some eye candy right there. Okay, wait, wait, Katie, wait, before we move on. Are you Team Dean or are you Team Sam? I wa- When Supernatural first came out, I was Team Sam. I am Team Dean right now. Oh, yeah. I've always been Team Dean. I, don't I know. liked both of them. I've always liked both of them. I will, I w- I will say that right now. <laughs> <laughs> Blaine better not be listening. <laughs> <laughs> I, uh, yeah, I was more Team Sam when I, w- when I was a young high schooler when it came out. But yeah, now watching it as an adult, I'm like, Team Dean. Dean all the way. Yeah, he's got some rough spots that need to, that need to be sanded out, but he's a big softy. We can do that for him. <laughs> I mean, anyways, moving on. Next, I'm moving next on. Next okay. <laughs> um, with that, I think I'm going to go ahead and jump into our second sponsor. Yes. And then I'm going to jump into my next show, which has the connection of also starring an incredibly attractive person. Anyway, so... <laughs> Our second sponsor for this episode is, again, us, Book Riot. And with this, we're not talking about podcasts, we're talking about newsletters. And did you know that Book Riot has over 25 newsletters covering every genre as well as book news and deals? You can sign up for book deals to get notified about the best book sales of the day, handpicked by our editorial staff. There's Today in Books, summing up the most interesting literary headlines every day, The Riot Rundown, our roundup of our most exciting new content, or our New Books newsletter that compiles a list of the week's best new releases and comes to you every Tuesday. Day, which, if you didn't know, is new release day in publishing. We also have newsletters for horror fans, romance readers, YA enthusiasts, mystery and thriller aficionados, that's all of you, and more. Just go to bookriot.com newsletters to sign up for whichever ones are most interesting to you. And as a quick side note, if any of you work in a library and do not subscribe yet to Check Your Shelf, that is my newsletter that I publish twice a week. So you can... You can get my my voice in your inbox twice a week with library news and extra cat pictures. So again, we thank us very much for sponsoring the episode. Okay, so my second show pick is one that I have only just recently started watching from the beginning. I was aware of the show before, then my husband started watching it, and I was kidding, getting it in bits and pieces, but not I didn't get the whole cohesive story, so I've just started watching it from the beginning. But... I've got a good grasp of the show to talk about it, and that is Peaky Blinders, starring Killian Murphy, who is one of the most gorgeous people on the face of the earth. Y'all can fight me on this. Again, this is another show that, that when I would come in, my husband would be watching, I'd come in, I'd go, oh, Killian Murphy. He's like, oh, sit down. <laughs> so again, eye candy show. But this show has a ton 
of depth going on. There is so much story packed into this show. It's set in 1919 Birmingham, right after the end of World War I. And the Peaky Blinders of the title, they are a family gang in Birmingham led by Killian Murphy's character, Thomas Shelby. If you're not sure where the name Peaky Blinders comes from, which I was not, it comes from the fact that the members of this gang sew razor blades into the peaks or the brims of their hats that they then use to attack their enemies. It's exactly as gruesome as you might think it is. That is intense. (laughs) Yes, it is very intense. These people do not mess around. And so the show itself is sprawling. Like, it it starts in 1919, but it covers, like, the, by the end of the most recent season, we're into the... Uh, we're into the, the end of the 1920s with the stock market crash and the Great Depression and all that. So there's a lot of time covered here. And one of the reasons why this show is so intriguing, because the at the center of the story is... The Shelby family, everyone's in on the family business, which is initially is gambling, bookkeeping, that type of thing. But their hold on their on their area of town really starts to expand. And they hold so much influence in this town. Like everyone in town is absolutely terrified of the Peakies or the Shelby family. And everyone, every person in that family is cold-blooded. So they're at the center of the show, but also around them, you have all of the turmoil of that time period. So you've got, you've got World War One. you have uprisings in, among the, with the labor movement and police striking out against communism. There are so many things happening and influencing the more localized events of the story. It's just it's so dramatic and so intense and it's gritty and it's so stylish and it's so, so good. And even though I started watching it, because like I said, Killian Murphy is unbelievably gorgeous and those cheekbones could cut glass. The whole show is just, is so sprawling. So the book that I picked for this read-alike is The Given Day by Dennis Lehane. And I will admit, I have only gotten about one-seventh into the book, but this book is 700 pages long. So it's huge. And so I've gotten about 100 pages in. So the story is only just starting to be set up, but it still reads really easily. It doesn't feel so, it doesn't feel super dense. It pulls you along with the narration, but it gives you such a strong sense of time and place, which, again, very similar time period, 1919, right at the end of World War I. Rather than taking place in Birmingham, it takes place in Boston, like many of Dennis Lehane's books do. And again, it follows a couple of characters, one of whom is a police officer in Boston who has been given an assignment to infiltrate a local union movement and start weaseling out the violent radicals that the that the police force and the local politicians are so concerned about. So that's Danny Coughlin, the police officer. And then you have Luther Lawrence, who is on the run from Tulsa after a confrontation with a crime boss. Luther is black, and he ends up working for the Coughlin family, and he's trying to get back home to his wife in Tulsa who is pregnant. 
So there are so many things happening in this book. And again, that's one of the, not only is it in a in an identical time period as the beginning of Peaky Blinders, but it has all of these other layers to it that make it so much more than a story about like these two central characters. Dennis Lehane, he talks about the he talks about World War One and the effects of that. Talks about the Spanish influenza pandemic, which there are some passages in there considering the time we're living in now when they're talking about this and people's reactions to it and how they you know how they they feel about their relative risk with the pandemic. It's 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 a little hard to read right now, and I'm like, oh boy, the more things change, the more things stay the same. It ends up talking about the Boston police strike of that same year. He talks about baseball and Babe Ruth and the World Series. There are other people that make their way into the story. W.E.B. Du Bois, Woodrow Wilson, Calvin Coolidge, J. Edgar Hoover. Like, it's it's got all of these real historical figures in this fictional story. It just gives it a real grounded sense of reality, almost. And so if you are looking to tackle a novel of Stephen King length, like I said, this is this is a doorstopper. It is 700 pages. But if you're looking for something that has a very similar gritty atmospheric feel to it, the same as Peaky Blinders, this would be a really good pick. And again, that is The Given Day by Dennis Lehane. It's, it's sort of like a metaphor, like the show. It is The book is also sprawling. So there you go. Very much so. <laughs> All right. My second for the show and book combo is uh, the show is only murders in the building. Uh, it comes on, it streams on Hulu and it stars my favorite Selena Gomez. And it's basically about these three people who are true crime aficionados. And they basically, they're, they, you know, they're just, they, they're, they're just going around along doing their true crime thing until a murder actually happens in their building and they get a chance to flex their true crime muscles and see like if what all they've learned they can apply to solve the mystery and obviously as as expected it's there's a reason there are institutions in place to solve this kind of thing because not everyone can do it after reading a couple of true crime books or like listening to true crime podcasts but they try anyway and it's a huge mess but it's a funny kind of mess but also like you know, crime is involved in murder. And so it's like a com, it's like, how would you describe it? It's like a comedy mystery sort of drama. Uh, and it's only one season has been out. I think the second season is coming. But it's very much, it's got that sense of, you know, like where as a person who's like watching the show, you get inserted into the story very much. And you sort of start, it's a very engaging show in the sense that you're like, if they can do it, why can't I do it? You know, it's their, their way of, going about their thought process is very it's very approachable it's very like like how you and I would think if you know this happened so it's it's very easy to watch it's very easy to get lost in so that's just along with those lines that I was you know thinking of a book that does that so I came up with The Appeal by Janice Hallett which is a recent release and what it does is basically this is a book where a crime has happened in a small town but the book in itself gives you all the clues that you need. So it has emails, it has texts, like it has notes and exchanges. It's got all sorts of like news clippings, uh, maybe pamphlets of things that were happening in this in the town around that time. It, you have all that material in the book itself. And it's not just sort of like thrown at you. It's very methodical, but it's still like, it's a very 
non-traditional format. And it's basically given in the book itself, it's given to two law students who have to make sense of all of that information and they have to exonerate the wrongly accused party of, you know, like who is that party? Who has been murdered? You don't know that right off the bat. You slowly discover that along with the law students. And it's just such a, it's like, it's a very non-traditional mystery and it just makes your, like it makes your different part of your brain work while you're reading this. And it was, it's so enjoyable because it's very similar. It's like, it doesn't take itself too seriously. Like it's, you know, as a book with so many people involved, like, you know, you see people unraveling and how people are hilarious and terrible at the same time. And it's a very unique kind of book, just like I feel like the show Only Murders in the Building is as well. And this was a book that, you know, came closest to what I could see. That where, you know, you sort of get inserted into the story, like a very common person just walking along gets inserted into the story and now they have a murder to solve. So yeah, that's Only Murders in the Building. And the read alike for that is The Appeal by Janice Hallett. That is a show that I... I believe my mother-in-law started watching that because I'm pretty sure she's asked my husband and I when we've gone to visit. It's like, have you guys started watching Only Murders in the <laughs> Building yet? And I'm like, do you have any idea how much TV we're watching right now? <laughs> Which, granted, a lot of it is reruns, but... It is delightful. It's perfect for, like, it's not too gritty. It's, if you want a mix between a sitcom and Peaky Blinders, this might be it. <laughs> and it has Steve Martin in it, and I and do Steve. love Steve Martin. Yes. <laughs> All right, so... My final show is a little bit of a throwback, and I am very specific about which season of this show that I'm talking about. So the se- the show that I picked is True Detective Season 1. That was obviously the first season. Wow. Okay. <laughs> yes, the first season. And that was the one with Matthew McConaughey and Woody Harrelson takes place in Louisiana in very isolated areas. And it just, like, if you were to look up the term Southern Gothic or, like, Southern crime, like, that show would just be the definition. Like, it just, that atmosphere just oozes out of every second of that season. And it's so intriguing and so intoxicating that I just immediately was like, I need to read everything that has this same feel to it. And this show, I think, I think this season, I want to say it came out in like 2014-ish, somewhere around there. And I still think about it. Like, we we still, like, will rewatch this season. We didn't touch season two, and we did watch season three. We liked that one. But season one was just, it was just so intriguing. While I will say that it is very heavy on the testosterone and the male characters and their toxic points of view and all of that that entails, if you're looking for a book that has a similar feel but le- but written from a woman's perspective, the book that I picked is The Weight of Blood by Laura McHugh. And I read this, I think, actually, I think I got... I got an advanced copy of this. This this came out back in 2014. So yeah, so this would have been right around when uh, when True Detective had been released. And when I read this book, my first thought was, 
this is a read alike for True Detective. Like that was the first thing that I remember thinking when I finished it. So the book, rather than taking place in Louisiana, takes place in the Ozarks. And it follows the Dane family. The main character is Lucy Dane. She is 17 years old. And she is grappling with the fact that her friend Sherry had disappeared a year or two previously and then was gone for, again, I think about a year. And then she was, her body was discovered in a river and no one knows what happened to her. They don't know where she went. They don't know what she was doing while she was gone. They don't know who murdered her. Lucy obviously is extremely troubled by this because Sherry was one of her friends, but also because Lucy's mother disappeared years ago. Again, no one knows where she went. They don't know if she's alive. They don't know if she's dead. They don't know what happened to her. So her life has kind of been bookended by these two very significant disappearances of women that that she was close to. And one day, Lucy discovers a necklace of Sherry's in an abandoned trailer that is on the property of one of her family members, her uncle. And while her uncle had said previously, oh, yeah, I was renting it out to someone, she's like, okay, I found Sherry's necklace here. Was she here? Did she, you know, was this where she was killed? Is this, you know, what's going on here? And so Lucy starts to try and figure out what happened to her friend. So this book, again, is similar to True Detective, is dark and gritty. But there's also a very lyrical quality to the writing that's very compelling. And the story is told between Lucy's point of view and it alternates with chapters told in her mo- from her mother's perspective. Her mother's name is Lila. And then she tells her story as when she first came to that town in the Ozarks when she was about Lucy's age, about 18, 19. And so you get the alternating pieces between present day and past time, past day. Past day doesn't work. Anyway, past and present. And so as Lucy's putting together the pieces of what happened to Sherry, you're starting to put the pieces together of what happened to her mother. And as all good books do that use this format, you'd notice that the two timelines start to merge together. And this book is just, it's very evocative. It's, again, you feel like you are in that tiny little town in the Ozark Mountains. And you're just kind of swept away in the atmosphere and the difficulties that the families have and how the community buries secrets and just all of this stuff. And it really is a a really solid read-alike for True Detective. So if you're like me and you watch that first season and you're like, I have got to find something that hits those, you know, that hits all those same points, this would be a really good one to pick up. And again, that is The Weight of Blood by Laura McHugh. Nice. That also sounds like a good read, like for the Ozarks. Yes. Another show I've seen bits and pieces of because Blaine was watching it. Oh, I love Jason Bateman so much. I do too. But when I was watching that, I could only think of him in Arrested Development and I couldn't get into it. (laughs) Right? I I agree. Oh my God. It's like he starts swearing and I'm like, no, you can't do that. Michael. Michael, don't do that. (laughs) Exactly. I agree. It was, it was, uh, but it was a good show. But again, it was another show I felt like got a little dragging after like third season, I believe. But it was a good one for as long as I watched it. Anyways, 
My third pick. Okay, so my third pick. Let me tell you about my third pick. It is The Typewriter. And it is a Hindi show uh, which has excellent subtitles. And I believe like around 50% of it is in English itself on Netflix. It is a Netflix show. It was a web series and Netflix took it on for one season. And it is one of my all-time favorite shows. And I think it's in that phase where they're deciding if there are enough viewers or enough traction for it to renew it for a second season. So I'm talking about it everywhere. I want you all to go and watch that show or at least add it to your algorithm. But anyways, so this show, the typewriter is, it's very, it's a very vague little show, but it's basically about this town in um, the city of Goa in India. And there are three kids who have classified themselves as ghost hunters. And there is, and they all live like in the same vicinity of each other. And there's this house, there is this house that is nearby them where it's just, you know, it's rumored as like, it's, it's haunted and it's like no one goes there. So what happens is new people move into that house and things start going like they start, they're going awry in their town. Like people start dropping dead, weird, weird things start happening. And like it all revolves around this typewriter, this typewriter that whenever it's try to like whenever someone tries to remove the typewriter from that mansion so like when the people who moved in try to remove it bad things start to happen and there might be a ghost in there somewhere like in the typewriter itself and it's like it's a sort of a retelling of an old indian story it's the ghost of sultanpur and it's so like it's my heart my heart just i just love kids like courage that kids display in these shows like like it for instance or in this one like it's like you know like when when we're given the choice of as adults to have courage over caution like i think 99 of us would take caution instead of courage but with kids it's just like they always will go the path like less taken and be like no we're gonna like defeat this we're gonna take this down and that just like that just my heart my heart just fills up with that so a book that I often think about in conjunction with this show is one that I've spoken about. I think we've all spoken about on the show a lot of times. It's Gin Patrol on the Purple Line by Deepa Anapara. And this also is a great read-alike for that show because it's also set in India. It's set in the Bastis or like slum areas of India. And it talks about, I believe it's Jay. Jay, who, has, who watches a lot of police shows and, you know, fancies himself like he's able to solve crimes and he has two of his friends who he always somehow Purdy and Fez who he always convinces to go along with him one of their classmates goes missing and Jay and Fez and Purdy decide that you know no one is giving it enough attention as it deserves because what if they're the next ones to go missing so that like they have to find out what happened to their classmate and as they start doing this, as they start following the clues, they like you know they get encircled in this circle. Basically, they, they get in danger, in danger themselves. And the, for the longest time, they think like uh, there's also this concept of a jinn, like like a supernatural element, like being on the. I think it, they believe it's on the verge of the town. They can see the lights, and that's what Jay believes that like you know that's where the jinn lives. 
but it's like that it's got that spirit of these little souls taking on such big things which adults sometimes just don't not sometimes most of the times don't have the courage to do so that's a show i think in conjunction of this book a lot i think like whenever i think of that book uh, that show i think of this book so it's gin patrol on the purple line by deepa anapara and it's this book is one thing i love about this book is that it's bleak it's about missing children but like you mentioned katie it doesn't seem like it's just the bleakness is not there for just the sake of being there it's very well handled it's very well woven into the story so it's uh, i think it's a fantastic like very well executed so that gin patrol on the purple line by deepa anapara and the show was the typewriter on netflix go watch it everybody <laughs> Oh my gosh. So we could like probably talk about this forever. Like I had a few different shows I was tempted to investigate. I'm like, hmm, let me see, maybe X-Files. If anyone has any read-alikes for Archer, like that would be really difficult, but I have been watching, (laughs) rewatching so much Archer lately. Oh my gosh. Anyway, if you have any suggestions either for the shows we talked about or your own favorite shows or you just want to commiserate about how much TV we've been watching the last few <laughs> years, let us know. Like I said, this is a topic we could probably talk about a lot, but I am so glad that we got the opportunity to do this. This was so much fun. And yes, I have been reading like a mad woman over the last few days and it's felt really good, I have to say. So yeah, so I think we'll have to cut it there, but I think we have just enough time to squeeze in a couple of new releases. What do you say, Nezra? I agree. Let's go for it. All right, we're going to bust through these real quick. So my new release that I picked for this week is Her Last Affair by John Searles. It comes out on March 22nd. So by the time you're listening to this, it will already be out in bookstores. And I picked this one because I absolutely adore John Searles' novel, Help for the Haunted, which came out in 2013. So I am definitely going to pick up this one as well, even though the plot has nothing to do with that, but his writing was fantastic. So this is kind of a domestic suspense type of novel. And so we have Skyla, who lives alone in the shadow of the defunct drive-in movie theater that she and her husband ran for nearly 50 years. And ever since Hollis's death in a freak accident the year before, Skyla spends her nights ruminating about the regrets and the deceptions in her long marriage. That is, until she rents a cottage on the property to a very charming British man named Teddy. A thousand miles away, Linnell is about to turn 50. She's bored by her spouse. She's fired from her job when a questionable photo from her youth surfaces on social media, as such photos tend to do. And her only source of joy is an online affair with her very first love, a man she has not seen in nearly 30 years, named Teddy. And in New York City, Jeremy is a failed and bitter writer. He accepts an assignment to review a new restaurant in Providence. And years ago, Providence was the site of his first great love and first great heartbreak. And maybe, just maybe, he'll look her up when he's back in town. So we've got three characters whose lives all appear just poised to intersect in all kinds of complicated and suspenseful ways. So this is part thriller, part film noir homage part insight into the desperate desires of the human heart. It is a tense and atmospheric novel of love lost and found again. And I think this sounds super interesting. And it's called Her Last Affair by John Searles. And it comes out on March 22nd. Okay, so my 
pick for the week is Four Aunties in a Funeral, which is the sequel to Dial A for Aunties. And this is by Jess Q. Sodanto. I believe I've spoken about Dial A for Aunties a couple of times. I'm not sure. It, it was a fun read if you're in the mood for basically a lavish wedding happening and these wedding planners who... <laughs> Actually, it's really funny. It's a it's a funny premise. Um, so Dali for aunties is basically, you know, there are these three aunties and Medi is trying to make them happy. She bears the burden of making all of them happy. And she's planning this wedding with them when a date goes wrong and something happens to her date, which now her aunties are helping solve. But simultaneously, they have a wedding to plan. And it's like a whole comedy of errors going on and it's hilarious and this book is now this book now is about Medi who has been to countless weddings and now it's time for her own so what Medi wants is you know instead of her aunts and her mom ha- like coming like planning the whole wedding for her um they just come in and enjoy as guests but what happens is you know that as they find they and they find the perfect wedding vendors, a Chinese Indonesian family run company just like theirs. Medi is hesitant at first, but she hits it off right away with the wedding photographer who reminds Medi of herself. Medi realizes that is where the similarities, however, end when she overhears Stephanie talking about taking out a target. Horrified, Medi can't believe Stephanie and her family aren't just like her own, they are the family actual mafia and they're using Medi's wedding as a chance to conduct shady business her aunties and mother won't let Medi's wedding ceremony become a murder scene over their dead bodies and will do whatever it takes to save her special day even if it means taking on the mafia and having read the first book I'll tell you they will do it so <laughs> so that's four aunties at a funeral by Jess Q. Sutanto and this comes out March 29th Boy, this is making me start to second guess what happened at my own wedding. <laughs> what was really going on there, Katie? <laughs> well, I don't know. People ended up on the lawn smoking cigars by the <laughs> by the towards the end of the reception. I don't know what was going on out there. Anyway, yeah. <laughs> but, but yeah, so I I cannot. I'm excited to pick this one up. But with that, that is our show. Thank you so much to everyone for listening. Thank you so much to our wonderful sound editor, Jen Zink, for always making us sound great. For show notes, you can head over to bookriot.com slash listen. For more book recommendations and bookish goodness, head over to bookriot.com. And don't forget to check out our full stable of podcasts at bookriot.com slash listen or just search bookriot on your podcast player of choice. If you want to send us an email with feedback or show suggestions, you can reach us at red or dead at bookriot.com otherwise you can find me on twitter at javed nasra that's j-a-v-e-d-n-u-s-r-a-h and you can find me on twitter at kt underscore library lady and we will talk to you next time bye